Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, the Global Chatter is currently on hiatus as we're getting ready for our upcoming season. However, in the interim, we've got some great bonus content from some of our most recent episodes, like the one you're about to listen to now. Check them all out, as well as some of our earlier episodes so you can get caught up. And as always, you can stop by theblackexpat.com to see what we're up to. Thanks for listening. So one thing I was really curious about was um, you mentioned that Germans don't really like to talk about race, um, obviously, especially as we compare it to the U.S., which I think sometimes people think we talk about race too much. Uh-huh. Why? Why? What is what is the difference and why is that? And is it cultural? Well, I think it's definitely high, uh, highly linked to the Second World War. Um, um, you know, obviously what the nazis did was a lot about you know defining people's races and so you know they had to define people as this or that so you know mostly of course they targeted jewish people but of course other people as well as Mm -hmm. you know um subhuman and they and say that they were subhuman and of course it's part of what they link um naming races uh too as well like what the nazis did labeling people and putting them in those categories and so i think they look at the discussion on racism and races as something linked to that and um and i think it's very different of course from what happens you know when people who are fighting against racism and racial discrimination want to talk about race. That's not what they're trying to do. They want to have the problem named and to also show who is, you know, being targeted the most um, by, you know, people discriminating against them. And, and I think and, and in a way to try to also find a solution and to find ways of repairing those issues. And I think that's sort of the major differences. And I think they just sort of, for them, it's sort of like race, you know, naming race, sort of like oh, Nazis, you know, it's sort of like for them, it's just sort of equated to that. And sort of like, as you can imagine, you know, if you, I don't know if you haven't been to Germany 
and lived here, you, it's it's big and it's major because, of course, the way that um, the Second World War and uh, Nazi Germany has influenced the country's understanding, like Germany's understanding of what it is and it's, you know, the country's identity is very much shaped by that point in history. And it's almost like you can, you know, the fact that Germany was divided as a country, West and East, all of that is linked to that as well. So I think um, that is one reason why it's sort of like, a huge elephant in the room and it's always present in a way it's almost like it's sort of it's cast a shadow in germany and and so it's hard for people to talk about race it makes it harder for people fighting racism to talk about but it's also it makes it harder for people to even you know listen because the moment that when i hear they hear that word they want to probably just get out of the room and run you know and they and then they of course they think that you are the one being racist because you are talking about racism mm-hmm. when you're trying to fight racism and so it's sort of um it is extremely challenging. And I think for people whose job is to really, you know, fight racism, it makes it very, very difficult. You know, it's super disturbing, which I don't know how many people know this. I mean, obviously, because everything you talked about goes back to World War II and the Nazis and obviously pre-World War II, right? And the rise of Nazism mm-hmm. is how much Hitler and company studied Jim Crow in the of U.S., course, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, I say that because I am aware that there are people who just don't know that, that they look towards what was happening in the U.S., that they look towards the oppression that was happening with Black folks, that there's the nations that the government had given those who were Native American and who were Asian. They looked at the, you know, the ban on interracial marriages and relationships and, they kind of used what they could, you know, they, you know, when I don't know if there's an old adage, my mom basically was like, you know, you take what you can use and throw the rest out. And it, it is, it is so f- interesting to me how much the, the, the discriminatory systems that were set up here became partial, a partial model for, of course, what happened in Germany and then obviously gave rise to a horrific world world event. Um, so yeah, you know, thinking about that context and what you said, uh, I think it's just, I think it's always interesting to an American ear in some mm-hmm. circles, not every circle, but just always here, you know, people tend to just not want to talk about race when, <laughs> you know, for us or, or, and I get it, I get it. Um, and it's not a, necessarily a negative thing but it's it's just such a different i think from an american lens but i i think yeah i think that's one part of it that's the bigger part of it and then the other big part of it i think and i think i've been having this discussion with other people of color especially here in oh like here in europe and in germany in general and i think one of the reasons is that it just sort of it makes it does make people uncomfortable to talk about race. I think in Europe in general there is this sort of discomfort uh, mm-hmm. talking about race in general, and I think um, I think people are just not comfortable talking about something that they that makes them feel awkward and uncomfortable. So I think, and I think it's the same thing in the United States. It's more like. Uh, and then, of course, owning, like, you know, the responsibility that I'm part of the problem, you know, like, um, I think the realization with the killing of George Floyd was also that a lot of people finally realize and they are also perhaps part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think 
there is a certain discomfort. And I think the, um, the discomfort of talking about racism is because I think maybe at the core, we all know that we're part of the problem. <laughs> and, and then it makes people uncomfortable, sort of like, where do I fit in in this problem? Am I sort of the bigger part or the smaller part? And am I sort of one who, you know, is impacted more by it as a result? And so for the people who can, you know, obviously like avoid it by just sort of sweeping it under the carpet. And for white people, it's much easier or people, you know, in the majority, or if they're in majority in a country, it's much easier sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyone in a position of power, it's much easier to sweep it under the carpet. Mm-hmm. On the, you know, who end up suffering it, it's not quite the same. And I think that's also one of the differences. But I think even for Black people, sometimes it's also, it's, it feels like a nuisance to have to talk about racism sometimes. Um, right. I've heard of Black people who say that, uh, or people of color who say that. And of course, when you look at those Black people and people of color who say that, they tend to be people of color and Black people of color who have generally benefited from the way things are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can mention some names but i won't <laughs> oh no oh no there's some, there's some famous black people who some- as well and um <laughs> as well who said things like i you know it's not an issue for me or i don't know why this is you know why we have to talk about it or things like that and i think i think and also black other black people who have said that maybe to another person of color or whatever. I've had conversations with people of color and they're like, you know what this black person said to me and I was so surprised and I think it was so wrong. And I was like, you know what? I think a lot of people like saying things like that, also not realizing that they're sitting on, you know, on the shoulders of the work of other black activists over the years. And they just don't realize that they are, mm. are because someone spoke up and they think that they just got there because they worked hard and they just fit in and they just, you know, whatever, you know, and I think there's so many ways we can, you know, spin that. But I think we need to recognize, I think it's almost like it's not just black people, it's also women, it's also gay people. Anyone from an underrepresented group needs to recognize that the reason they are where they are today, like they've gained any amount of access to certain rights and certain things, Mm. because other people worked hard um, to make sure that they got those rights. And if there's someone else like them who's complaining, Mm -hmm. they also need someone to speak up for them. And even if you yourself don't see it or feel that you get it, you need to try to understand it and speak up for, you know, other people like you. I think it's so important. And I, I feel, and it took me years to get here. It's because I was also one of those black people at some point. <laughs> this is why I'm saying this. And, You're saying yeah, it freely. <laughs> I am saying this because I was also one of those black people who said, who thought that if I just worked hard, I would, you know, get the fair, I would get a fair chance as well. And I know that it doesn't work that way, but it took me a long time to get to where I am. And I think it takes some people even a longer time. <laughs> some people some people get, get, get there. And so I think it's important. I think it's also just important because it's just sort of, it's our way of saying, thank you, Martin Luther King. Thank you, you know, Nelson Mandela. Thank you, you know, and, oh, or even the first president of, my, of Zambia, of course, who did a couple of other wrong things afterwards. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, thank you for fighting against racism and, um, you know, and discrimination. Or thank you, you know, um, 
if it's Simone de Beauvoir or whoever you admire, I don't know. And it could be anyone, you know, if you're a woman or if you're a gay man or, you know, if it's, you know, Harvey Milk or I, I don't know, it could be anyone. And I think it's so important. It's super important. For me, I just feel, I feel like it's my responsibility because I never saw it like that. And I, mm. I finally have understood that I think it's important because we are all where we are because someone was fighting for us. And unless you're really in the mainstream, I like amazed like that stereotype of no one who fought for you, maybe you don't have that responsibility. I think if yeah. you belong to that minority or any minority group, then you kind of need to. And you can just think that you got there on your own merit. <laughs> Man, you're talking and you just opened up with something I've thought about for a long time in terms of the, and I'm glad you were kind of open and vulnerable there and saying, you know what, I haven't always been at this because you know, I think especially if you are a Black immigrant, right? I'm going to use the U.S. as an example, right? That's my point of reference right now. Um, and sometimes I do see this tension between those who are Black American, right? And those mm-hmm. who are Black immigrants who, who came in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, maybe even in the 60s. Um, and I always think to myself, look, if there is stuff that you can do as a black immigrant, right? Um, it's because many of these people bled and died, exactly. right? Their, their ancestors, their grandparents, their grandfathers, their great uncles, great aunts, you know, whomever are the ones who predominantly, right? Endured the beatings and endured the police and endured the torture, right? And walked when they refused to take buses because of the prejudice, right? To bring down economic <clears throat> systems. And so it would not, it would behoove you <laughs> to not acknowledge that instead of turning around and saying, well, why don't they just do this? I came from insert exactly. this country because that that i will say does get on my nerves because i'm like you came from this country because these people fought for civil rights <laughs> okay yep. like nobody was checking for africans <laughs> in the 50s and the 40s <laughs> i mean am i wrong nobody was and we most of our countries became quote unquote and I say this quote, quote, free in the 60s and the 70s and God bless them, some of the 80s, <laughs> some yeah. of the 90s. So nobody was checking for y'all wherever you were. Um, and, and, and the fact that it is, it is basically on the blood and on the backs of people like an MLK and of course someone like a John Lewis, but the many nameless people, right? Because... Bleh, those are the names that we know, right? Because that's what history will even tell you, right? The Rosa Parks and whatnot. But the many that came and just endured and fought. And, and so for you to sort of be like, and, and we can extrapolate this to other groups, but of course I'm keeping it in the context of Blackness, for you to just be like, well, you got here yesterday, <laughs> trying to figure out, well, why aren't they doing the way I'm doing? You know, I got my, <laughs> my engineering degree and my law degree and I bought five houses without even knowing the history of the discrimination that has impacted these families for centuries. And, and you're, you're right, like 
I mean, we are where we are because of the work that other people put in. Like, sure. And I always wrestle with this. I don't know if you do. I'm like, yeah, things are hard and there's definitely gatekeepers and there's definitely <laughs> and I definitely deal with it as a black person. But at the same time, you know, you and I live in 2020 and it is not like it was in 1950. No, <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, so I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's just, that's just something that's always in the back of my mind. No, that's, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Cause I think, um, it's not about just your experience. You also need to, um, you need to, uh, also listen to what other people are saying. And I think if there's a good enough number, I think it's just sort of, and then of course, if you, if you don't feel too strongly about it, maybe you shouldn't just say anything. It's better not to say anything. <laughs> right. I would say then I'll, I'll just say, okay, just don't say anything. Uh, and this, of course, sounds like uh, people shouldn't, you know, share their stories. And whatever. <laughs> I think, I, I think there's something in it, you know. And uh, but it's just my opinion. Obviously, I, maybe it's a bit extreme to say that. <laughs> nah, I, I think you're right. You ain't got nothing to add to it. Because you might, I don't know, I don't think you necessarily help the story when you're just, you kind of point the fingers and you don't, you don't know the context. Because I think if any of us who've been part of a marginalized community, right, part of being in a marginalized community, it doesn't matter what the community is, is that your community has taken on battle scars, right? Mm -hmm. There are wounds there, right? And you know that it's just like if someone puts their hand on a wound in your body, it's gonna set you off because it hurts. And and so yeah. sometimes your people that maybe look like you or may have a shared identity with you, but saying things that sounds like what the groups who afflicted the pain <laughs> would say, I, I think it's hard. I mean, I, I think that's a tension I, I kind of wrestle with sometimes too when I look at I, I wrestle with that sometimes when I hear immigrants and I sometimes wrestle with that when I hear people back on the continent who make assumptions about what happens for those of us that are, that look like them, but live in the West. Mm -hmm. True. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, I feel like that's a, that's a whole, whole thing, but you know, I, um, yeah, it's, it's important. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. We've got a, I guess that is allyship, right? And uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does, what does allyship look like for you? I mean, obviously you're a black gay man, right? You have an African identity, you have an American identity, you have, you have, a, I guess, a bit of a German, I don't know, we've got this, <laughs> this <laughs> European flavor as well. I mean, what does allyship look like for you? I, I mean, I think it's just sort of um, being highly aware of um, what other underrepresented groups are fighting and sort of not making or coming to the same conclusion as what you normally see or get, um, the stories you see or get. And um, also having friends from those groups. I think allyship is super significant only if you do have friends and personal connections from those groups of people. I think it's really hard to, until I had like good friends who were Muslim, it was really hard for me to understand that experience. And I don't think I quite understand it even to this day, but I think having friends who remind me of their struggles as, you know, Muslim 
who's living in Europe, for instance, um, that helps me at least get that. And I never can pretend that I can speak for someone in that uh, going through that. But at least I have someone to turn to. And, I, and these are also people I can actually ask questions about their experiences when I sort of have questions. Um, and that's also important. But they, I think they have to be your friends. It doesn't have to be like that one Muslim person you know who you always go to once in <laughs> right. a while you know and I think someone you actually should care about and I think if you do have sort of like a personal investment in that relationship then it's different and so you know you go out there I mean of course I don't know how <laughs> I don't want people to be asking people like oh you're black can you be my friend but um, I, I think that would be weird but I, I think you just have to go out there and seek those people and find them when you can and really make friends, sort of figure out how do you not have friends from other groups of people? I think this is a question I would start if that was, and just try to sort of really seek out different types of groups of people. And I think I'm lucky because I think I'm black and gay. Obviously that gives me access to a lot more people, but like I said, I'm, you know, I'm friends with Muslims and people mm -hmm. might typically think that Muslims aren't gay friendly, but the Muslims I'm friends with are very super gay friendly. So <laughs> right. there you go. So <laughs> it sort of just opens your eyes, you know, and sort of, you know, you just need to be very open-minded. And I, I, I mean, I, I think we kind of touched on this when we did the initial interview, um, in terms of particularly even allyship within the LGBTQ community. Um, and I know one of the things you mentioned was that not necessarily knowing where you fit in sometimes within black spaces. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you, if you could kind of elaborate that more in the context of being a gay man. So is it other just general black spaces? Is it black gay German spaces? Like where, where, where do you think the, where's the, attention is not the word, but where's the gap, I guess? Well, I mean, I guess there is, I, I mean, there's this idea of what black masculinity would be mm. or should be. And so, and that, of course, takes on different forms, you know, within the African-American mm -hmm. community or, say, within, you know, African communities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you for saying communities. <laughs> we need to start saying communities for all these things that are Black, right? Because that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's sort of, I mean... Obviously, I know what it's like, you know, in Zambia, for instance, and Zambia is not a super gay-friendly country in general. Mm -hmm. So, and so when I meet, like, and I know other African countries which aren't, or of, you know, of them as well, having had, you know, friends and acquaintances from those places as well. And so I, I sort of like, sort of almost like tread carefully, like, you know, this, yeah. oh, like, are you, <laughs> are these people great friendly or not? And it's sort of, I think that's one reason why I don't feel comfortable within the black community, uh, mm -hmm. most black communities, um, because of that, there's that as well. And of course, in Germany and Berlin in particular, it's a very open city. So I think most of the black people you meet in Berlin will be very open. Um, I think the ones I've met at least, but there's a reason why I met them, you know, Right. I meet them at certain events and places like that, which tend to, of course, attract that type of crowd as well. You know, if it's like a magazine launch, like literary magazine launch, of course you're going to meet <laughs> queer, friendly <laughs> black people, you know. Not to stereotype, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And exactly, it's just the way it is. And it would be probably more weird if they weren't weirder, if they were more like queer friendly. And so I think that's just sort of 
sort of the spaces I occupy and I, you know, I would want to be, you know, I, I, but I, I can't sort of put myself in spaces where yeah. I'm more homophobic because of course I, then I just won't be myself. And that's the sad truth uh, about that. I'd like to be able to um, have conversations with people who don't care. But I, I mean, on the other, just to sort of flip the coin on that one, I know of people in Zambia who are not that educated. And so mm-hmm. I just want to point this out, like homophobia is not about education and there are people in Zambia who are not educated who are totally accepting of um gays as well so mm-hmm. uh, or of homosexuality and I think they just sort of think they there's a saying in Zambia which basically means what God has created you should always accept and they believe anyone doesn't matter gay whatever um whatever label you can form them anything that is God's creation and there is nothing on this earth that is not God's creation then you know you have to accept as is and mm-hmm. so that is sort of people who are not educated in the traditional sense who still like formal education who would still turn back to that saying which is you know in a Zambian language and they would say oh okay so that person's a bit this or that or effeminate or they do that but that's just the way that God made them made them that's mm-hmm. it you know and so but that the idea of homophobia has more been pushed by I would argue uh, Christianity and uh, Christian evan- evangelicals, evangelicals. <laughs> mostly from sponsored by the United States South, you know, pastors and whatever these yeah. movements and, you know, and who spent so much money, you know, predicating their hate. And so it's not all Christians I must mention as well. Um, right. <laughs> so I'm well aware of that, but I think it's sort of gained a lot of traction Um as a result of that. And I, I think we need to understand how that works as well. And I think, uh, unfortunately, they get more airplay and more, you know, attention than they should. And I wish it was different, but it's something that as black people and or Africans, uh, we just need to work on and be super aware of. We just so need to ally with other groups of people, mm-hmm. especially and because of course we're just the numbers are not always as high in some countries depending on where you are i think it's just so important to you know work with muslims and and then of course for the muslim community also to work with lgbtiq but that doesn't always work that doesn't always work sometimes it does sometimes, sometimes it, does. it does sometimes it does yeah right and i you know i mean i think you bring up a really good point in terms of as you were talking i was just considering you know, you are obviously an expat and obviously you're, you're a gay man, you're a black gay man. And just even the particulars, if you, if you are thinking about being an expat and you are queer, all the extra things that you may have to consider that obviously those who identify as straight don't, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, of course you touched on this in your interview and, and I think we kind of know them, but you know, what are the countries that are safe, right? Because if you're going to move somewhere, you mentioned obviously living in Germany, living in Berlin, it's an open society, right? So I'm not that there aren't problems in Germany, but very different being in a Germany than being in a Saudi Arabia. Exactly. <laughs> right? Entirely. And, and, and even though there's certainly folks who are queer all over the world, <laughs> as much as governments don't seem to understand that. Um, 
but just the things that you have to consider. And so, I mean, obviously you've spent most of your time in the West since you left Zambia as a teenager, but is that something you were considering even in the places that you were willing to go or was it, well, I'm just going to go wherever regardless? Was- no, no, it's definitely a consideration. Um, definitely. I, I picked countries where I thought it was going to be good and easy for me to live as a gay person, which is one reason I've picked South Africa as well, because mm-hmm. I know that mm-hmm. fine. Um, there is also uh, a certain level of homophobia, but um, uh, you know, homosexuality isn't a problem, at least under South African law. And of course, for someone who's foreign and doesn't have like sort of maybe some of the social connections that might make that a problem, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be an issue as much as say if I lived in Zambia where I, it is, you know, you could be sentenced to prison, uh, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, and that's definitely a consideration, even where if I was going to live in Africa where I would want to live, uh, definitely the you know, the laws against gay people is an issue. And this is also a problem that African countries need to think of, I think. Mm-hmm. I think as gay Africans need to make it clear that they, you know, if they can, um, I mean, I'm yeah. lucky enough to have that privilege, that they are not willing to live in a country or support a country that, you know, is against gay rights. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can visit it, but I don't want to be there, you know. <laughs> like right. There, well. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Safety is an absolute concern. And and that's for anyone who's figuring out where they want to go. But obviously, if especially if you're in a partnership, which then it is even more visible, right? I mean, because yeah. it's also because I mean, for anybody who's single, irrespective, right? It's a little bit less visible if you're just by yourself. But obviously, if you're moving somewhere with a partner, <laughs> you, you then have to go into the cultural questions, right? Especially for people who are countries that are more closed off. And so... Yeah, I mean, so then I I guess based on your response, I would imagine in terms of finding safer spaces and communities, you've been able to find them obviously living in Germany, obviously living in the UK, right? Yeah, it's almost like a balancing act. It's sort of like, oh, what's going to be worse? You like feel black and gay. This is like (laughs) the bad thing. (laughs) Okay, not so great. Okay. Okay, better, <laughs> not so great. When you sort of like, okay, okay, you know what I'm getting at here. Yeah, um, yeah. As I, I think as a black woman, uh, also, you know, you have to deal with that as well. And um, I, I guess it's just something that is the reality for people who are sort of, you know, they belong to more than one underrepresented group of people or one group of people that is sort of uh, discriminated against. And I think... Um, that is, it's a balancing act. Of course, being black and gay also sometimes in some groups of people can also give me advantages that maybe even mm. a straight male black might not have. Mm-hmm. And that's something we can get into another time. Right? <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not celebrating that. I'm just saying that's just the way it works. Yeah. You know, I think um, a straight black man is perceived very differently from a gay black man, even by say, you know, a well-meaning white person. Um, <laughs> whatever yeah. that is. But um, you know what I mean? Like uh, perhaps I'm, I can't think a bit, you know what I might be getting at, but I think it's sort of like, it's not the same thing. Yeah. And they would perceive that person differently. But of course, you know, the first thing that people see about me is that I'm a black man. They don't see that I'm gay and that's something right. I'm aware of. But uh, at every moment then as a gay black man, I'm also coming to a conclusion on whether 
what's the right moment to out myself and if outing myself is actually advantageous, that's mm. part of the code switching. Because of course, as a gay man, I'm also code switching. I'm code switching between a straight identity, which is a presumed identity, and the gay identity, which is really what my part of my identity is. And mm-hmm. so um, there's also that code switching element uh, in being a gay person, and that you know, gay people obviously do on a daily basis and out themselves, you know, time and time and all, like even maybe several times, uh, sometimes several times a day. And you're also calculating if actually outing yourself is mm. going to work to your advantage. And we are aware that sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. And but but it also can be used against you, but in the same situation at a later point in time, much like, you know, being black. Right. Is, no, exactly. Well, and I and I also I can't I feel like I had a conversation about this with someone where you know, if you're queer but you're a foreigner, I forgot what country it was in, right? People were cool with it. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But, but if you were queer and you looked like the local population or part of the local population, it was a different story. Exactly. And so just even, I think even you bringing to light that sometimes you're having this, like this code switching and choosing when to out yourself, right? More than once, right? Whereas daily, whereas at least from a visible standpoint, right? Once you've seen that I'm black, there's exactly. not, like it's it's not, it, I mean, obviously code switching happens in different ways. We've talked about language, but I don't have to keep reminding you, you know, the first time you see me, you may be surprised, oh, she's a black woman. But after that, it is what it is. Whereas, you know, every person can see what you are as you approach them where you are right. It's different when you're queer. And and I, I can only imagine then when you're in a different cultural context than the one you grew up in or that you're most familiar with and how you navigate that. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, you're always bringing the insight. That's why I love to you. You always, you always bringing something new to the conversation. So, uh, I guess we got a bonus episode out of this because this is this might be a standalone, um, just for okay. everything covered. So, I'm, I'm gonna let. Let's do that. I don't mind the bonus episode. I'm, I'm gonna let Justin know because I was like, okay, we're gonna answer that question, but then we got down this rabbit hole, and I was like, nah, we gotta talk about this though since we since it came up. Let's let's cover it. So thank you so much again for hanging out. The Global Chatter from the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is executive produced by Justin Williams. You can find all episodes of The Global Chatter on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.